You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, as we're gathered today, we give you thanks. Um, we give you thanks for spring um, and uh, just the wonderful way in which uh, we see once again um, you're renewing the earth and yet... Um, Good heavens, we're also aware that, that, that so much is, is broken and remains so. But as we're gathered today, speak your word of life, speak your word of hope. Uh, Jesus, your living word to us, I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So I'll just, uh, as we begin, I, couldn't, I, I can't help but um, tell you a, a, a quick story. Um, we had that, the gospel lesson today, of course, is the Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, um, the story. And amongst the things, you know, that takes them up and shows them all the kingdoms of the world and says, you know, all of this could be yours. One of my friends, John Burwell, that I worked with, he was the rector of uh, Holy Cross on Sullivan's Island. And John, prior to his ordination, was a disc jockey. Um, and, and it really was, he, John is a, John's a great guy, but you could tell he was a disc jockey, you know, in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, he definitely, he never lost that disc jockey presentation. We, and I'm not making this up, um, we had a hit list um, of hymns that we sang from. We basically sang the same 50 hymns uh, again and again um, and again. Um, and uh, so anyway, I love, uh, I, I, part of thing too, I love, uh, the, I love the Lenten hymns. I'm a sucker for a melancholy hymn. Um, I just, I really do uh, like them so very much. But anyway, John was, John was a disc jockey. He was discerning. You know, he felt called to ordain ministry, but he was grappling with that. Is this what I'm supposed to do, not supposed to do? And in the process, he had an interview for a uh, syndicated radio position up in North Carolina. It would have been a big deal. It basically, it was, the, it was the job he had always wanted. You know, we all sort of have that, gosh, if, if I could uh, attain this, then of course all would be right with the world. Um, if I could just get to that. And this was that dream job. And the man that owned all the radio stations uh, that uh, John would be uh, working for was taking John around town, kind of in the typical fashion, whining him, dining him. And John said uh, they went up, this is in North Carolina, and they, they went up, it's kind of like in Birmingham if you went up to Vulcan, um, and they got out and they walked around, and John, and again, I'm not making this up, the, the man said to John, John, all of this could be yours. <laughs> <laughs> and John said, at that moment, it's like, all right, thank you, Lord. Uh, that's, this, is, this is the clarification I needed. All of this could be yours, John. And so he hung it up, uh, and uh, thanks be to God, um, went into um, ordained ministry. So uh, I, I tell you, we'll, we're going to talk about a, uh, a very familiar, uh, very short um, parable. So this last week, uh, this week, next week, we're going to be looking um, at some parables. Uh, we, one of the things we talked about last week, again, succinctly, is... Um, Jesus making his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. Uh, there's, a, there's a decisive shift in, in the Gospel of Luke, and every, in every Gospel. One of the things, in Luke's language, Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. And so he begins, and he makes his way toward Jerusalem. And as he does so, he travels through the country um, of the Samaritans, those who were hostile um, to Jerusalem. Uh, Judaism and Jews. Uh, so he was traveling in hostile territory. And, and part of all this is the reality, as Mark noted in his sermon today, um, we, and I, you know, 
actually, that's in some ways, it's kind of exciting. But but uh, I think in many ways there is a decided cultural shift, and we live in hostile territory. Um, we, we 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 it's just we could tell ourselves otherwise, but it's true. Um, and and to some degree, Christianity has always flourished in that context. And as he noted today in his sermon, I mean, you know. Um, uh, in, in, in the first century, to say someone other than Caesar was king uh, was, uh, was, a, was a not just um, frowned upon, but was dangerous. Um, and so we, we live in that context. Um, and one of the things that I think is important for us going forward, and this is a, a thought of mine, which of course uh, I welcome you to sift um, because I may, be, I may be right, I may be wrong. But I, I think going forward, again, it's, it's kind of exciting, but I think we're going to need to be in some ways more creative in the language we use in the way that we speak with the culture and the way that we engage. Um, you know, uh, uh, and I'm not opposed to, uh, I think we, we need to share scripture, but, but uh, quoting a Bible verse is probably not going to be very effective in our modern context. And again, that, I, I think that's actually very exciting because it you know, wonderfully challenges um, you and me to engage um, our faith, to engage uh, our knowledge of the nature and the character of God and his revelation and think about ways in which we can translate that, uh, ways that we can hold out that word of life in a way uh, which, which might begin to um, gain ground um, in people's lives and in their minds and in their hearts. And of course, at the end of the day, it's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God, not yours and my amazing skill, um, because... Uh, <laughs> The only really effective conversations I think I have are in my mind. Um, I, you know, the, the real ones in life um, tend to go, uh, you know, classes are great in your mind. And then you have to actually, sermons are great in your mind. But then you actually have to speak to people. Um, and it's, a, it's another story altogether. But there's also an, a book I recommend to you is Eugene Peterson's Tell It Slant. Um, Eugene Peterson's Tell It Slant. And, and so reading that book is what um, sparked so much of this. One of the things that uh, Peterson talks about in Tell It Slant is that Jesus, as Jesus made his way um, through the region of the Samaritans, I mean, he certainly spoke honestly and frankly um, in, in ways um, which uh, you know, certainly uh, could be were. Um, Jesus, didn't, uh, Jesus didn't fade back um, and not speak honestly. But at the same time, one of the interesting things he points out is that he's just traveling through this region of the Samaritans. And if you remember at the very beginning, uh, as he goes to a Samaritan, well, it tells, for instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan is one of the ones that, that, that he tells, um, which would have been scandalous um, to the people um, of, of his day. Imagine, you know, whoever uh, your greatest enemy is, the least deserving person in your mind, uh, and God uh, holding them up as the hero. <laughs> that's, that's a little challenging. Uh, you know, it, and again, you, you all you all have that person. Um, you all have that group. And think about, you know, that person, uh, Jesus telling a story and that person being the hero of the story um, uh, from that particular um, group. That would have been tremendously challenging. But as Jesus um, travels through Samaria, one of the things that um, that Peterson points out, and again, you can agree or disagree with Peterson, is that um, often in the way that Jesus told stories and the way that Jesus used language uh, as he was walking along the road, as he was engaging people who might be um, naturally hostile toward him, the way in which he used parables was a way basically in some ways of telling it slant uh, in such a way um, that uh, before people knew what happened, um, the word had impacted them. 
uh, with, with, because he said naturally they had their defenses and, and, and the world has its defenses. And you and I have our defenses as well, right? Uh, when we approach scripture, it's not just those people. Um, you and I um, have our uh, resistance uh, as well. And so, and also sort of drawing from, I, I love, um, what well, I just love literature, um, but uh, as I read, it's, it's interesting to, to hear different people conveying the themes of the gospel in language which is creative, in, in language which is often evocative, uh, in, in language which at times is, is slant, uh, but, but telling the story uh, of the gospel, engaging the challenges of the human condition um, in a way that um, lowers people's defenses. Um, and so today's book uh, and the book club is um, Lynn Inger's The High Divide. Um, I feel like um, I'm in Paul's preschool class, and this is the book I'm going to read to you today, um, but it's, uh, it's Lynn Inger's High Divide. Uh, Lynn Inger, Leif Inger, two brothers, um, uh, I've referenced numerous times, uh, Leif Inger uh, wrote um, Peace Like a River, which some of you may have read. Virgil Wander is another, So Brave, Young, and Handsome is another that uh, Leif Inger wrote and would recommend any or all those to you. Lynn Inger, I've read two of his, this one, The High Divide, which I certainly recommend and he wrote another one uh, uh, fairly recently that I read that was uh, also very engaging called American Gospel um, is the name of it. And it's a novel. It's a story. Uh, but, but American Gospel is, is the name of it. And the, uh, the chief characters um, are this uh, gentleman, the self-proclaimed sort of evangelist and, 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 and prophet who is, uh, says that the end of time is coming. Um, and his son, who has grown up with him and has made his way off to New York to be a writer and has rejected the faith um, altogether. And the young girl that he um, had a child with uh, that was given up to adoption, who's now gone on to be a movie star out in California. And so all these people um, gather together again um, in Minnesota, but um, not that I'm distracted or anything or getting off target. But anyway, American Gospel, that's, that's the other. So the, uh, the, the actual, let's, let me read from the Bible. Um, for us now. And um, the, what I'm going to read from is Luke chapter 18. And it's one of, in many ways, it's one of our favorites, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, the Pharisee and the, and the tax collector. Um, short. Um, and, and Jesus, um, it's interesting because um, Luke uh, gives us a little preview uh, in verse 9. This is Luke 18.9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Um, so that's, um, Luke uh, gives that preface, which is, not, uh, which is not unimportant. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with um, contempt. Uh, and if, if, if you're anything like me, it's interesting because I, I, I love this one. Um, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about one of the, chief, well, I don't know, uh, maybe this is the chief issue of the human condition. Um, I guess to some degree sin is the chief issue of the human condition, but uh, it, it deals with justification. Uh, it deals with justification, and I, and I think that is whether uh, Christian or not, um, the whole world grapples with the issue of justification. Um, uh, in, in, in the secular world, certainly, um, the, the issue of justification is out there. We're, we're all longing um, to be to feel justified, um, to feel uh, to feel that we have um, worth and 
uh, and, and merit and, and to have resolution um, in our lives. I mean, obviously, from a Christian standpoint, you and I see justification as um, rightly our need to be made in our need to be made righteous, our need to be made in right relationship with God. We understand, you know, justification in, in those terms to, to have our worth and our merit and our security um, in, in that rightly. But again, um, the world is trying to justify itself all the time, isn't it? Um, and we get sucked into that as well, the ways that we try to justify ourselves by our accomplishments uh, and by our being um, good people and, uh, you know, <laughs> we... We don't want our kids to get in trouble because then our justification goes down a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I must be a bad, Craig must be a bad parent because uh, look at what his son just did. Um, and so, and of course we're concerned about our son, but we're also concerned that it makes us look bad. Um, so our justification points go down a little bit. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to say a few words about this and, and draw some from the high divide as well. But, and, you know, if you don't, I'm sorry, I keep, it's kind of dark back there. So um, I keep trying to come closer um any any first reactions or comments you have about that but as i say this is one of those that we that we know and love isn't it um uh the 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 pharisee and the tax collector any 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 comments or reflections on this before i begin and i realize this is a big context to do that but i've heard my voice a lot so far um and would welcome uh, a brief this, is, this shows the, the great divide that we find in christianity even today Mm -hmm. There are a whole host of people that very quietly but obviously beat on their breast. Sure. And I'm better than you are because I'm a Christian. Absolutely. All you have to do is watch some of the political ads right now. Yeah. You see some demonstrations on there that the indication is because I'm a Christian and a practicing Christian, I'm a lot better than you guys and you need to listen to me. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, you're quite right, Coffee. I mean, there is that, there is that very definite divide uh, in Christianity, um, the self-righteousness, and even uh, even the approaches uh, within w under the umbrella of those who call themselves Christians between grace and the law, um, those who seek to justify themselves by their, uh, you know, uh, their, you know. Um, and here's the thing too, uh, as I'm reading this, of course, I, one of the things that God's revealed to me is also is what a Pharisee I am um, as well. I mean, I, I, of course, I immediately think, boy, I'm like that tax collector, and I'm glad I'm not like Pharisees. And then I find myself being a Pharisee um, just at that very moment. That Thank God I'm not like that guy. Um, <laughs> I don't judge people. Um, you know, there's no self-righteousness in myself. There's no self-centeredness or, or any of those things. God, I thank you that you've not made me like the uh, like the Pharisee. I mean, I find myself praying that prayer even as I even as I read this. I'm 
God graciously sort of pierces me. But yeah, but that the the whole approach uh, between uh, between grace um, and the law, and actually in this in the high divide of what I'm going to read from in a minute, um, it, it it gets down to it, it's interesting. It gets down to so I don't bury the lead here um, to the need for atonement, the need from someone outside of ourselves um, to atone, to atone, uh, to justify us, to make us um, righteous. So, yeah, I mean, even in Christianity, there's a lot of, um, like when Paul writes to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Jesus plus. There's a lot of Jesus plus in Christianity. Yes, Jesus is the Savior, but I need to do this. Uh, I need, there's still that legalistic approach. Um, And, uh, you know, we all want to be righteous too, basically be seen as uh, as as decent people, yeah. Good heavens, that's um, yeah. That's that's entirely uh, prevalent because the law is tempting to us. Um, the the law really is tempting, and it and 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 to some degree, we need to be delivered from that uh, uh, for the entirety of our life because um, we want to go back to it because it's uh, it's initially appealing, but it can't produce what it promises. Um, it, it's initially appealing because uh, who among us doesn't want clarity um, or, or some instructions to follow? Um, it's kind of nice um, the, the idea. Like, can you can you can you give me a can you give me a guide? Can you give me some steps? Can you give me a playbook? Can you make it clear? You know, do this uh, and don't do that. If you do this, then things are going to go well. If you do this, things are going to go disastrously. Um, and it's, it's appealing because, of course, we want to think um, that we can help ourselves. Um, and that may seem a little too strong, but I would contend that we can help ourselves. We, I, really, I really feel like we can't. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot help ourselves. We need uh, the gracious um, intervention of God to come, into our, to come into our lives. But here's an interesting thing, too, Coffee, to your point and um, uh, for the rest of you as well. Um, where were these? Uh, where were these two people? There, yeah, the temple. Basically, they they were they were in church. Um, so they were they they were they were both um, in church together. Um, so uh, I mean, Jesus obviously. Luke tells us, um, yes, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, but but more than that, he's. And here's the here's the thing. He's talking to all of us um, because you know we. We, we know the truth um, and we believe the truth, but again, there's, there's, we can fall back into this uh, again and again and again. The lure is, is always there to trust in ourselves um, that, that we're righteous, um, that, you know, that, that, that temptation comes up again and again and treating others um, with contempt. But they're both in church together. These are, you know, the, the one is, a, is clearly a tax collector and he would have, um, uh, you know, um, I started to say what the modern day tax collector is, but it might be offensive to some of you who are in here. I'm trying to think, what's a modern example? And I, I started to say something, I'd be like, well, that's disparaging. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to, I don't know, a clergyman. I don't know, well, how about that? So, um, uh, so they, they're, they're, both in, they're both in church, they're both in church together. And it's kind of interesting, the language which Jesus used, the Pharisee standing by himself. Um, so this, this self-righteousness, um, actually uh, isolates him. Uh, I, I don't think it's an, it's an accident that he's, that he's standing by himself. He sees himself as um, sufficient. He sees himself um, as um, proficient. He sees himself as, as a master. And, and, and what does that do? It, uh, it, it doesn't connect him to anyone. It isolates him. 
uh, from from other people. We we see the well, we see the effect of his theology um, is is that rather um, than binding him to God and binding him to others, it, it actually isolates him. He stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And of course, this, you know, Jesus tells the story in a way which is uh, outrageous, but, but again, sort of necessarily outrageous because sometimes that's what it takes. Um, often that's what it takes to get our attention and to enable us um, to see. Uh, when you think about prayer, what? Uh, let me just kind of ask you this uh, question to me. What, when you think about prayer, and this isn't um, this isn't a test for you to pass, but what are what are some of the important facets of prayer? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Yeah, absolutely. Where that's hundred uh, percent. Yeah, about whatever. Yeah, thankfulness, gratitude, with, without a doubt. Um, yes. Excuse me. Yeah, petition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, making appeals to God. Yeah, let me. Lifeline. lifeline? Yeah, that's a, absolutely um, a, a lifeline. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> I would say the Pharisee has cut off the lifeline. Um, yeah, so petition. We have Thanksgiving. Uh, we have lifeline. Any anything else? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, humility, compassion. Ab- abs- absolutely. Yeah, confession, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, words of praise, that, uh, with, 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 without, without a doubt. I mean, the, you know, the Pharisee, uh, he's praising himself. God, thank you for being my audience. Um, so as, as, I, as, I, as I begin to, to, to praise myself. But again, I, you know, God's sort of wonderfully revealing to me um, some of the ways in which in my own life I praise myself uh, without necessarily knowing it and 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 you do as well and I and this is a thought again something that came to mind recently and you can take this or leave this but I I think often when we fall into resentment that in some ways resentment is praising ourselves um when and, and again, I'm probably the only person in here who has resentments. Um, so, but I think when we fall into resentment, we're, we're praising ourselves. Uh, because, and what what do I mean by that? Well, we're not called to call wrong right um, in the Christian faith. I mean, we're 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 allowed to call a thing for what it is, and we're allowed, we're we're encouraged to let the light shine. We're encouraged um, in in honesty. Um, so that's. So that's put that out there as a as a beginning place. Um, we're not asked to sort of say, "Oh shucks, it doesn't matter," and to overlook and to pretend something isn't there. That's that's there. We're we're called to honesty. We're called to let the light shine. But I think when we get caught up in resentment, basically what resentment is in some ways it's a self justification. It's like I I would never do something like that. Um, uh, I I wouldn't be that person. Uh, I wouldn't do something like that um, to that person. And I think it it shifts us into the role of the Pharisee. Um, when we uh, when when we have resentment, and as I say, I'm not saying calling wrong right, but when resentment takes hold, uh, I, I think it's a basically it's it's a Pharisaical prayer in our life um, uh, because we're 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 placing ourselves above someone else to say um, not just the action, but I wouldn't be like that person. Um, uh, I wouldn't be bound in the way that that person is is bound, and I thank God that I'm free. Um, and not like that person. 
Seth that, uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's probably a kernel of truth in there. So, um, uh, but, uh, you know, naturally, of course, I think I'm right. Um, but, um, but God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, um, unjust, uh, adulterers, um, or even like this tax collector. And he, of course, um, God, in case you're unclear, let me give you all the reasons. Um, I'll, I'll be specific. Uh, fasting, giving tithes of all that I get. Uh, but the tax collector is standing um, far off. And I, I think as well, and again, I'm, uh, I'm interpreting this. Um, the tax collector standing um, far off, he has, uh, he has a realization of the human condition. And he has a realization of his, of his spiritual condition, that without an intervention of God's grace, that he's, that he's far off. Uh, and there's a, there's a chasm which he can't cross. Uh, he, he recognizes um, that, that his life and his actions and his thoughts and, and all of that leave him far off from God. And he needs someone to step into, um, someone to step into that. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes um, to, to, to heaven. Um, but beat his breast, and of course, um, uh, uh, no doubt, uh, uh, among other things, um, uh, this this makes me think of uh, the the prayer of humble access. Um, uh, you know, we're 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 not worthy, not in a not in a way that 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 tears us down, but in a way that's liberating. Um, we're not worthy, and whew, isn't that a relief? <laughs> Isn't that a relief that we're not worthy um, and that we're not justifying ourselves, God? But, but in, uh, in the Eucharist, in communion, we're remembering the means of our justification, uh, your body and, and your blood, your obedience and your, your sacrifice. Talk about taking the weight of the world off of our, our shoulders. So again, rather than that being a prayer that tears us down, it's a prayer that builds us up. Because again, it, it, it takes away um, any false notions that we can be our own saviors, uh, that we can be our own justifiers. Um, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus uh, says quite rightly, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather um, than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus says. So a word, um, uh, you know, again, talking about, um, talking about justification, a, a quick quote here uh, before we move into anger here. Um, We'll say just a little bit, uh, another word about this uh, portion from Luke um, and, and the understanding of, of, of righteousness uh, in, in Jesus' day amongst the people. The righteous person, this is a, uh, uh, I'll tell you this, uh, give you this um, quote here. The righteous person is not the one who observes uh, a particular code of ethics but rather a person or community granted a special relationship of acceptance in the presence of God. So the righteous person is not the one who observes a particular code of ethics, but rather a person or community granted a special relationship of acceptance in the presence of God. So, so we're a group of people that are granted a special um, relationship of acceptance in the presence of God. And again, not because of ourselves, but because of, of, of Jesus. That's, that's what that righteousness is. And that, but what can happen though, um, is of course, that relationship is maintained by acting in loyalty to the giver of the unearned status. And I, and I, and, and I don't disagree with that, uh, but yet that can be the, uh, 
that can be that tipping point again where we begin to fall into that pharisaical that I, that I need to in some way, shape, or fashion um, earn this. So the high divide, um, less than a seamless transition, but you know, we need to make a transition there. The high divide, so the main characters in the high divide um, are Ulysses. Uh, Ulysses is the uh, Ulysses Pope. Uh, Ulysses Pope uh, is, the, is the main character. His wife is Greta. And he has two sons, Eli and Danny. Uh, and uh, at the beginning of the novel, one, one of the things that's, that's clear is that there's, uh, there, there's, there's something which haunts him. There's something which is a burden uh, upon him and, and his life. And his, and his wife realizes it. And she's really, in some ways, um, kind of afraid to, to delve in too deeply um, to ask him about it. It's kind of one of those things that's locked away. And his, and his sons recognize it as well just like i'm sure um, my kids uh, your kids if you have kids they they know when we're distracted uh, when there's something i mean it's you know it's it's not a you know we think we do a good job of concealing it uh, but it's not a mystery to them when 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 we're when when we're distracted they you know they they get it they see it but there's this um there's this tremendous issue um for ulysses and and one night uh, in the middle of the night he just walks away leaves a cryptic note uh, and walks away uh, and what it uh, turns out to be, he had um, he had been um, uh, in the army, uh, and he had been with uh, with Custer. Uh, he had been with Custer and and his troops, and um, there were some uh, atrocities that he had seen, and 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 those that he had committed as well, and particularly um, uh, the the killing of a young boy, uh, and the young boy. Um, had taken a, uh, as they were, uh, as uh, Custer and the troops, and they, they you know, it was kind of one of those uh, things of the human experience. Uh, he, he didn't want to go along with it, but he didn't have any choice. Um, have, have you ever had that thought um, in, in, in your life? You know, didn't want to go along with it, but didn't have any choice. Uh, he was, uh, he was trapped. He was in the army. He was with Custer was the general there was. And so they were, um, they were gathering up um, this group of, of Indians uh, and uh, this uh, young boy, um, the, uh, the men were out hunting and there's sort of the, the women and the children and, and the elderly were there um, in the camp. And this young boy takes a revolver and shoots him and, and, and shoots off um, part of his ear. Uh, and he ended up shooting that boy um, and, and, and killing that boy. And so uh, this, is, you know, this, is the great, uh, this is the great trauma uh, of his of his of his life, uh, and he's trying to figure out a way uh, that 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 haunts him. And so uh, one night in the middle of the night, he uh, he leaves again, just with a with a cryptic note. And, and the family begins to uh, gradually um, put things together. His boys um, similarly go off in the middle of the night to look for their father. Um, and it's in some ways, it's kind of a wild west um, tale. And, and and the wife eventually. Um, gets on a train as well to travel to seek, and so there's all these. Uh, it, it's 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 the human condition. It's 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 a husband and wife who love each other, and in some ways are strangers to one another. Uh, and they've you know this this distance has grown um, between them. So it's it's about uh, a husband and a wife trying to you know reconcile um, their relationship and 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 come back um, to one another and uh, and and and. You know, and, and basically find one another. It's about boys uh, going to look um, for their father, um, a father who's uh, been lost to them. It's, it's this man uh, looking um, in some way to, to find 
uh, defined peace uh, in his life um, uh, and defined resolution in his life. And he had been baptized. Uh, one of the things that uh, the story um, talks about is, uh, is, his, uh, is his baptism. And here's, uh, here's this particular uh, moment. Um, and he goes to find the man. He has a pouch. And he goes to find the man who's, uh, he hears that the man that, uh, whose son he killed is, is alive. And he goes to find him uh, because he wants to be reconciled. He's looking for reconciliation. He's looking for um, justification. And so he searches out this man who's, uh, whose name is Magpie. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'm trying to sort of uh, uh, make this, so I'd really love to read the book to you right now, but I'm trying to sort of just, you know, I'm trying to, um, uh, trying to, so it's interesting. So, and, and by this time, his uh, elder son, Eli, has caught up with him, and he's actually, he's actually with him, and um, he, they, they find um, magpie uh, and and his and his friends uh, and uh, here 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 we go um, once again um, specializing um, today and this awkward moment brought to you um, by uh, by Craig Smalley. Um, so he, he 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 catches up he catches up with with Magpie and and his friends uh, who have been hunting, uh, and uh, he has uh, he has his son with him. So here he goes. Um, he says, "I have something. I have." Um, something of yours. I have something else for you, Ulysses said. And now he could feel his lungs rising into his throat. In order to get enough air, he had to focus his mind on the act of breathing. Before you let me see it, Magpie said, tell me something else. Tell me um, if your God um, sent you here, the one who allowed the men to kill him, the God you killed. Ulysses breathed. He was aware of a sudden lightness as if the crown of his head were lifting away. He placed it he placed the heels of his hands against his temples and squeezed, forcing himself to think, let me say this right. God doesn't speak to me in a way I can be sure of was how it came out. You don't hear him? Not in the way I'd like to. For a long moment, Magpie was silent. It was impossible to read his eyes, narrowed as they were, shiny slits. He said, well then, and elevated his chin, squared his shoulders and sat up straight. He looked like a man preparing himself for his own execution, though his hands were quiet, uh, on the ground beside him. Ulysses gr glanced over at Eli, whose expression showed nothing. He would have liked to reassure his son, tell him it was all going to be fine. Instead, he reached for the beaded pouch that hung inside his coat below his left arm. He pulled it out and lifted the strap from around his neck and held it on his lap, where the last of the sun was caught in the blue and yellow beadwork. Magpie sat still, his eyes holding fast to the bag. He leaned to his right and took hold of the Henry, and rose to his feet all in a single movement. Then he crooked the rifle loosely in his right elbow, barrel pointing at the sky. He stared hard at Ulysses, who was aware of his own rifle propped beside him on the ground. No one moved. Then Magpie leaned over and plucked up the pouch from Ulysses and walked uphill and out of sight beyond a heap of limestone. 
Ulysses looked around to see where the others had gone, but there was only the smaller man out in the middle of the creek, his chest bare, his arms wet and glistening, and extended out um, on the surface of water. Where did he go? What's he doing? Eli whispered. Ulysses shook his head. What, we just sit here? Let's go. Leave while we can. No. Ulysses saw himself at the center of the storm, and he imagined himself waiting through the final moments before a battle when you know your lot has been decided, your future beyond any control. Turning, he looked into his son's face where he saw fear and defiance both. He put an arm around Eli's shoulder, and Eli, but Eli shrugged it off. It may have been a quarter of an hour that Magpie was gone, or twice that, but when he came back down the hill, tobacco pouch slung across his shoulder, the Henry bounced in his elbow. He wasn't alone. Behind him walked the man with the barrel chest and graying hair, his eyes shining like two black stars. This is Bull Bear, my brother, Magpie said, and the two men sat. In Magpie's face, Ulysses saw something new, the kind of distance he'd often seen in Danny's eyes when a headache was coming on. Bull Bear set his rifle on the ground and picked up a stick and began to jab at chunks of burning wood. A pulsing blue vein stood out on his forehead. Magpie cradled the Henry on his lap. He touched the buckskin pouch, which rested at the center of his chest. Where did you get this, he asked, at the Washita. You rode with Squaw Killer then. I did. Do you know who made this pouch? Yes. How could you know? Ulysses explained about the old woman he'd met at Camp Supply during the week following the massacre. One of 53 hostages Custer had taken that day, and how she had recognized the beating pattern of the pouch uh, and identified um, its maker. And, and, it, and it goes on, uh, and he, uh, he goes on to uh, uh, confess um, that which he did. Ulysses looked across at Magpie, sitting there rigid and grave, his skin taut, fists gripping the lapels of his faded blue coat. It was impossible to account for the coincidences and for the years of grief um, that had led to this moment, preposterous to hope that a minute from now the two of them would still be alive and sitting here across from each other, and yet there was nothing to do but go on uh, to speak, which Ulysses did, half convinced his words would choke him, catching his throat like dry stones. So there's this, uh, there's Again, what was missing in the in the prayer of the Pharisee? There's a confession here, uh, and and this confession, as painful as it is, um, is 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 leading to life. He wasted no time on details that would be all too familiar, but moved right to the moment in front of the lodge, and the boy with the Colt revolver who shot me here. He said, laying a hand to the right side of his head where his ear was gone. He was nine or ten years old. He shot me and then ran into the lodge, and my friend went after him. I went in too. There was a woman there and another boy younger than the first, three years old or four. The one who shot me wasn't trying to hide. He didn't seem afraid. He was looking up at me, fierce as if he wanted to kill me. Ulysses paused and touched his own chest. I shot him here, he said, his voice catching. I can't tell you why. Out of anger, I suppose. My friend shot the other boy, and then we ran out, uh, leaving uh, the woman there. And then he goes on. Ulysses paused to breathe. I'm sorry, he said. I'm here to tell you um, that I'm sorry. Magpie hadn't blinked or looked away. The Henry still rested on the crook of his elbow. His hands were loose on his knees now, but there was a tremble in his fingers. He turned to Bull Bear and spoke for a while, his chin raised almost formally, then lifted a hand when his brother took a grip on the pistol that hung from his neck. Magpie turned to Ulysses again. Yes, that was my son, he said. 
his face stricken and pale, and your friend killed my cousin, my nephew. Um, they, were, they were good boys. And it, it goes on, and then Magpie is looking at him, and he says, You have a son, Magpie said, gesturing toward Eli, and I think you have a wife too at home. Ulysses nodded. If Bullbear and Leathertop went there and one of them put a bullet through her heart or crushed her head with a club, it would be the same as if I had done it. There is no difference. There is no difference, Ulysses said. Are you prepared to die? Magpie asked. Is that why you came? Do you want us to kill you because I am ready? Ulysses said nothing. All down the center of himself, from the bottom of his throat to his groin, he felt an icy coldness. He had come here for this moment, and it belonged to Magpie, who would do with it as he liked. There was no other way it could be. Ulysses turned to his son, whose mouth was set hard, his eyes full of distance. Spare him, Ulysses said. Magpie didn't respond. Uh, in the cedar tree nearby, a pair of crows had come to light upon the hanging meat pile, and now they began to pick um, and, and jab at it. Bull Bear leaned over and spoke into Magpie's ear, his gaze fixed on Ulysses. Magpie shook his head. He said, My brother forgets how much time has passed, how many things have changed. He wants to know if you see yourself as a good man for coming here and saying these things. He wants to know if you think your God will love you again now. He wants to know if that's why you came here. I was taught to believe that God loves us all no matter what we do, Ulysses said. No, I'm not a good man. But I had hoped to give my sons a father again and my wife a husband, and I had to tell you I'm sorry. You're here to please yourself then, Magpie said. I would have been better if you had stayed home. You think because your God suffered, you don't have to suffer? That all has been made smooth? The world is yours to take? You think if there is pain, there must be a way to be rid of it, like a buffalo sheds his winter coat by rubbing on a rock, and that I'm your rock? Magpie shook his head. You took a boy's life, but you're not worthy um, to carry his spirit. Uh, and then he goes on um, and... Uh, he says this, but here is what you can do. If you mean to settle this wrong, you have done me. Magpie turned his face toward Eli. You can give me your son. He is close to being a man, but still boy enough to learn. Give him to me, and then I will know that you have heard your God. I'll know that your heart is as good as you think it is. I didn't say I thought my heart is good, but you want it to be good. That's why you're here. Yes. And so... Uh, Ulysses uh, tells Magpie, he said, I can't, I can't do it. Uh, I, 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 can't, uh, I can't do it. I can't, uh, I can't give you my son. Magpie interestingly said, you know, I, I, a son for a son. This will, this, this will resolve it. This sacrifice, you took my son, you give me um, your son. This will make it right. Uh, I'm looking at the time. I'm going to close uh, quickly. Um, there, gosh, there's so much more to be said. And I, it's, it's a good book. I, I recommend it. But I, I share that because Ulysses was trying to make things right, rightly, um, well, well intended. And, and, and yet, as Magpie points out, there was a certain selfishness in it. Uh, you've, you've dragged all this up for me so you can feel better, and I, and I, feel, and I feel worse. Uh, I tell you what will make it right is, is, is this gift. If you give your son, if you give this sacrifice, uh, I think you probably see where I'm going with this. Uh, for things to be made right, it required a sacrifice that Ulysses couldn't make. Uh, there, there, there's the heart of our Christian faith, the, our righteousness, our justification, our reconciliation. 
are, are accomplished sacrificially by God. He accomplishes what we cannot. Um, and that is the source of our hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time today. Uh, as we go forth, go with us and be with us, guide us and direct us. Remind us always of our need and necessity of you uh, and our complete security in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.